in Revelation chapter 16, and we're going to pick up with verse uh, 17. We got down here, and in verse 17, the, the, the heading would be this, the mystery of God finished. So the mystery of God finished. Uh, verse 17, then the seventh angel poured out his bowl into the air, and a loud voice came out of the temple of heaven from the throne saying, it is done. And there were noises and thunderings and lightnings, and there was a great earthquake, such a mighty and great earthquake as had not occurred since men were on the earth. Now the great city was divided into three parts, and the cities of the nations fell. And great Babylon was remembered before God to give her uh, the cup of the wine of the fierceness of his wrath. Then every island fled away, and the mountains were not found. Now, I want to mention something right there. You read things, and you see things, on, you see things or read things, and, and you read Scripture. But it was talking about the islands fled away. And I saw a documentary, I think last weekend, when we got back. I was watching something. There was a documentary about how the Hawaiian islands were formed. And, and you know, the earth scientists would talk about the thousands and thousands and thousands and thousands of years that went into that. I don't believe it happened that way. Uh, but I do believe the way that it was formed is that, that you know, think, we want to get into that. But we'll say this. The way those islands were formed, they're, they're really on uh, shifting sand. One of the islands, if you've ever looked at those strain of islands, they're all kind of circular basically in shape except for one. And it's kind of a long, slender island. Have you been over there, Brent? Are you familiar with what I'm talking about? Well, they got to looking at it and they thought, this doesn't make sense that it's shaped like it is. Well, they, they went in and I guess the Army Corps of Engineers or whoever, they, they went out into the ocean and they've, they've mapped ocean floors. And what they discovered was they saw these little mountain pieces or these rock pieces down there. And they mapped on and put it together and they looked at it and they said, you know, all this was once part of the island. And it, and it fell off. It fell away. And what they... What they, what they, after studying it, when you look at the island, it's got this sheer face on it. And so what happened is just one day, for whatever it was, an earthquake or whatever happened and started it, half of that island or a big chunk of that island just I mean, hundreds of acres, thousands, hundreds of thousands of acres, big old piece of that island broke off and then went down into the ocean for, for hundreds of miles. They found these pieces out there that come together. And what they've discovered then is the way that volcanic, you know, as the volcano, the lava's coming up, it hits the water, and the way it breaks up, it creates almost like sand. So those islands are just all sand. And so if you live there and you watch that video, you'd be very unnerved because it would be like, well, this could just, at any moment, that could happen again. And it really could. And I thought about that as I read this, and every island fled away. You know, when we think about all the islands, what's going to happen? You know, the scriptures, what the scriptures say is going to happen. The mountains were not found. When these earthquakes come at this end time, when these events happen, Mount Everest won't be a Mount Everest. The islands will be no more. Hawaiian islands will be gone. All the islands will be gone. Florida, the peninsula of Florida will probably be gone. There's, I mean, it's going to be such a catastrophic event. You read this, it's just amazing. But uh, that made me think about that, how that, you think of something that big and that could happen just collapsing. Now you have this earthquake that's bigger than anything that's ever happened in the history of man on earth. 
these things that go on. Verse 21, And great hail from heaven fell upon men, each hailstone about the weight of a talent. Men blasphemed God because of the plague of the hail, since the plague was exceedingly great. In Revelation 10, verses 6 and 7, God promised that the mystery of God would be finished when the seventh angel poured out his vial. Now we see this fulfilled. Revelation 10, 6 and 7 uh, says this, And swore by him who lives forever and ever, who created heaven and the things that are in it, the earth and the things that are in it, and the sea and the things that are in it, that there should be delay no longer. But in the days of the sounding of the seventh angel, when he is about to sound, the mystery of God would be finished as he declared to his servants the prophets. So this is a time where the mystery of God is, is finished. The events described in this section look forward to the fall of Babylon and the return of Christ to reign. That's where we're at here. What occurs in the next chapters, chapters 17, 18, and 19, is included in this seventh bowl judgment that's poured out. Uh, so why did the angel pour the bowl out in the air? If you read that, the angel poured the bowl out into the air. Why did he do that? Because this is the realm assigned to Satan. If you go back to Ephesians 2, 2, you see that he is the prince of the power of the air. So that, that, that bowl was poured out into the air. The judgments thus far have touched the world of nature and of mankind, but not the mastermind behind it all being Satan. And so however at this point, and from this point on, Christ will deal with, he's going to deal with Satan's religious uh, system that we'll see in chapter 17 that we'll get into in just a moment. We'll see Satan's political system attacked in chapter 18. Uh, Satan's armies will be defeated in chapter 19. And then Satan himself in the first three verses of chapter 20. When the seventh bowl is emptied out, the throne and the temple of heaven unite to say, it is done. That'll be a great thing. So the mystery of God is finished and the souls under the altar must no longer ask how long because it will be accomplished. This announcement reminds us of the words of Christ on the cross. Amen. When the Lord said it is finished, all that needed to be done was done. The Lord had did it. It was D-O-N-E period. Nothing that we do it was all done by him. When the new heavens and earth are ushered in, God will again say it is done. He says that in Revelation 21.6. So this earthquake divides Jerusalem. You can go back and see uh, chapter 11, verse 8. It derives, divides Jerusalem into three parts. And, uh, but this is not the only city to be judged. Other great cities of the earth fall, and the, and the great Babylon comes up for judgment. So Babylon, again, in Revelation 17, it is the apostate church of the last days. Babylon, Babylon in Revelation 18, is the political economic system of the beast. And so the hell that we saw here, the hell in verse 21, it reminds us of the seventh plague. We go back to Exodus chapter 9, that seventh plague of, of, of hell. Imagine hailstones that weigh 125 pounds. That's what a talent in that day, in John's day, a talent of silver would have weighed 125 pounds. Now, I've seen some pretty big hailstones, uh, at least from pictures. I mean, I've seen some that were, I don't know, I'd probably say nickel size. It's probably the biggest I've seen. I've seen others that, that had some that were like tennis ball size. Now, that's a big old piece of ice. Now imagine a hailstone that's 125 pounds. You got to figure if a gallon of water is eight pounds, 
So how many gallons would that? I mean, it would be huge. It would be like those rocks, those big weightlifters do, the Ironman competition. You know, they pick those things. But 125-pound hailstone. Unbelievable. Leviticus 24:16 states that the blasphemer should be stoned to death. So the men of the earth who continue to blaspheme God get what they deserve. Because God's going to judge that. Amen. So that's the end of chapter 16. And then we're going to turn over to 17. We'll pick up right there. Chapter 17, if I gave it a title, it would be this. It's the great harlot. If you've read these chapters, you understand why. We're going to see the harlot here. Uh, chapter 17 and 18 introduce us to Babylon, which typifies the last great world system before the return of Christ. In chapter 17, the emphasis is on the religious aspect of the system, while in chapter 18, the commercial aspect is stressed. Religious Babylon will be overthrown by the beast at the end of chapter 17, and then commercial Babylon will be, will be destroyed by God. So that's kind of the forerunner of what we're going to look at. So basically, I'm going to read, I'm going to look at a couple of verses here. We'll talk about that, but then I'm going to read through chapter 17, then we're going to go back and we're going to identify and try to help you understand the different players and parts in this, okay? So the first thing we see here is in verse 1 and 2, we see the invitation. There's an invitation here. Then one of the seven angels who had the seven bowls came and talked with me, saying to me, Come, I will show you the judgment of the great harlot who sits on many waters, with whom the kings of the earth committed fornication, and the inhabitants of the earth were made drunk with the wine of her fornication. So since the seven vials that we saw in chapter 17, seven, the seven bowls, seven vials, brought about the climax of God's wrath on the world, including the fall of Babylon, the end of chapter 16, one of these angels invites John to go to the wilderness to see the great whore, this, this, this harlot there, the apostate world system. Uh, note right here, we can look at this, that there are four women that are mentioned in Revelation. The first was Jezebel that uh, was symbolizing the, the, apost the apostasy creeping into the church back in chapter 2. We see Israel represented there in chapter 12, verse 1. Then we come here to the harlot, the final apostate world system here in chapter 17. And then we see the bride of Christ, the church, mentioned in chapter 19, verse 7. So that's the invitation. Come, come and see. Come, I'll show you the judgment. That's told to John. So John's going to go. So we're going we're to see here what then he sees. So we see the explanation, the invitation, and here's the explanation. There are several symbols involved in this description, but the angel explains them to us. So everything that, that, that we're told here in chapter 17, the angel actually explains it. So if we just, it's amazing if we just read scripture, scripture is the best commentator of scripture, amen? You know, we, we often want to go to a commentator. The best commentator on Scripture is the Scriptures. And when the Scriptures have something to say about it, that's who we need to listen to. So if we accept the interpretation of God's Word, we will have little trouble understanding what this chapter teaches, okay? So let's read. In fact, I'm going to do this. Who would read? Who would come up here and read for me? Come on, somebody. Brent, can you read? I want to go to Vito, man. That's why I asked. That's why I asked. I got, I got it here printed out for you. And you, it's big enough you can see it. Cool. There we go. Read, read if you would, verse 3 through 18 there. Just read that for me. <clears throat> 
So he carried me away in the spirit into the wilderness. And I saw a woman sitting on a scarlet beast, which was full of names of blasphemy, having seven heads and ten horns. The woman was arrayed in purple and scarlet and adorned with gold and precious stones and pearls, having her hand in a golden cup full of abominations and the filthiness of her fornication. And on her forehead, a name was written, Mystery Babylon the Great, the mother of harlots and of abominations of the earth. I saw a woman drunk with the blood of the saints and with the blood of the martyrs of Jesus. And when I saw her, I marveled was uh, great with great amazement. But the angel said to me, why do you marvel? I will tell you the mystery of the woman of the beast that carries her, which was, has the seven heads and the ten horns. The beast that you saw was, is and not. So I'm going to reread that. The beast that you saw was and is not and will ascend out of the bottomless pit to go to perdition. And those who dwell on the earth will marvel, whose names are not written in the book of life from the foundation of the world, when they see the beast that was and is not and yet is. Here is the mind which has wisdom. The seven heads are seven mountains on which the woman sits. There are also seven kings. Five have fallen. One is, and the other has not yet come. And when he, when he comes, he must continue a short time. The beast that was and is not is himself also the eighth and, and is of the seven and is going to perdition. The ten horns, which you saw, are ten kings who have received no kingdom as yet, as of yet, but they received authority for one hour as kings with the beast. These are of one mind. They will give their power and their authority to the beast. These will make war with the lamb, and the lamb will overcome them. For he is Lord of lords and king of kings. Can I get amen? Amen. amen. And those who are with him are called chosen and faithful. Then he said to me, the waters which you saw where the harlot sits are people. They're the peoples, the multitudes, nations, and tongues. And the ten horns which you saw on the beast, these will hate the harlot, make her desolate and naked, eat her flesh, and burn her with fire. For God has put into, her, into their hearts to fulfill his purpose to be of one mind and to give their kingdom to the beast until the words of the God are fulfilled. Amen. Is it 17 or 18? 18. 18. Read that too. And the woman who you saw is that great city which reigns over the kings of the earth. Thank you. Yes, sir. Thank you very much, Brent. That'll save me a little bit there. Um, now, can I ask y'all, how many of you fear struck your heart when I asked who would come up and read? Some of you fear strike your heart. You're a teacher, aren't you? Here, here's, you know, Brent, I appreciate you doing that. And I say this because that, that, along, that with 
singing or praying out loud. Reading out loud might have been one of my greatest fears as a kid because I didn't read well. And, um, I mean, I didn't read well at all. And I stuttered over words, I stammered. I, I just, I, I didn't. And it just struck fear in my heart to have to read out loud in class. I mean, it was terrible. Terrible. But I appreciate you doing that. And, Brent, I, I do. You're a humble servant. That's why, you know, you'll do those things. And I'll call on Brent to do things I might not call on somebody else. Because if he gets mad, he'll get over it real quick. Some of the others may not. But, no, I really do appreciate that. Because it's not an easy thing to read out loud. But the only way to get over those kind of fears, whether it's speaking publicly, praying publicly, reading publicly, any of that, the only way to get over it, and you may never get over it, but the only way to get over it is to do it. The only way. And that's why some of these guys, I've encouraged them, you know, if I call on you to pray, would you, would you pray? And, you know, I've seen Chris Sheets just grow leaps and bounds in that. From Chris's guy told me, you know, call on me to pray. And I did one time by mistake. And he went ahead and prayed, but I thought, man, I didn't do that on purpose. And uh, I called on Rob one time. And Rob, Rob Jackson, he, and Rob got me outside. And he said, hey. Are you mad at me? <laughs> I said, no, man. Why would I be mad at you? He said, because, you know, I asked you not to call on me to pray, and you did. And I went, oh. I, I was like, Rob, I, honestly, I didn't remember, man. I'm sorry. I just, I didn't remember that. And he was okay. I mean, he prayed. He, he did great. But so we, we, we get nervous with these things. But the only way to get past it is to do it. So thank you. All that said, just say thank you. I probably talked as much if I'd have just read the, <laughs> but my throat feels better. All right, so let's look at the elements of this. Let's look at the, the elements of this and get an understanding. So first of all, let's start with the woman. Who is the woman? So verse 18 makes it very clear that the woman is a city. It's not a, a, a woman, it's a city, okay? And in John's day, she was reigning over the kings of the earth. Verse 18, and the woman whom you saw is that great city which reigns over the kings of the earth. So that's pretty straightforward. Now, the seven heads of verse 3 are identified as seven mountains in verse 9. So anybody, anybody remember from classes you may have taken? or Is there a city that had uh, uh, seven hills? Where? Rome. I, that's the only thing. I had a class. I think it was some type of a literature class. It may have been Roman mythology or something in college. I had this. But the only thing I remember was the professor. I mean, he loved his, he loved it. He loved his stuff. But Athens, Georgia, apparently, he had researched it. Apparently, Athens was also built on seven hills. And he loved this stuff. I mean, he'd come in, he'd just be talking about the hills of Athens and how it related to Rome and the seven hills of Rome. And so there seems to be little doubt that the city that is being referenced here is Rome. It is situated on seven hills, and uh, when Revelation was written, Rome was reigning over the kings of the earth. So we have indication there to the city, the woman being Rome. Uh, the second thing, B, the beast. This is the same beast that we met in chapter 13. This is the Antichrist. Verse 8 indicates that this world ruler will come out of the bottomless pit, suggesting that he was raised from the dead. And we talked about this when we were on that. Or at the very least, um, it was a mortal injury. Perhaps that is the great lie that folks believe. They won't believe that Jesus raised from the dead, but they'll believe that the Antichrist raised from the dead. 
I personally don't believe that he'll rise from the dead. I don't believe that Satan has that power. So it's a, it's a, it is a, another, it's the antichrist. Everything is, it is a, uh, a counterfeit of what God does, what Christ does. And so there's a counterfeit resurrection and people will buy that lie. We talked a lot about that. Verse 8 um, uh, let's see, verse 8 says, The beast that you saw was and is not and will ascend out of the bottomless pit and go to perdition. And those who dwell on the earth will marvel whose names are not written in the book of life from the foundation of the world when they see the beast that was and is not and yet is. Now, perdition, the word perdition there, it links, it links the Antichrist with Judas. Go back to John chapter 17, verse 12, and 2 Thessalonians 2, 3, simply because of the word perdition. That's what the link is. And there are those uh, that for that reason, there are some scholars that believe that Antichrist will be Judas raised from the dead. I don't, I don't buy that. I don't, I don't tend to believe that. But that is something that some hold to. So the beast is scarlet colored, again, linking him with the dragon, Satan, uh, going back to chapter, well, let's read verse 3. It says, So he carried me away in the spirit into the wilderness, and I saw a woman sitting on a scarlet beast. If you go back to chapter 12, verse 3, we see, And another sign appeared in heaven. Behold, a great fiery red dragon having seven heads and ten horns and seven diadems on his head. The fact that the beast has seven heads and ten horns also identifies him with Satan. Again, Revelation uh, 12, 3, what we just read, and then Revelation 13, 1. Then I stood on the sand of the sea and saw a beast rising up out of the sea, having seven heads and ten horns. It's pretty easy to identify him. He's, it's the same every time. And on his horn, ten crowns, and on his heads, uh, heads a blasphemous name. Verse 10 tells us that the seven heads are seven kings as well as seven mountains. So those seven, uh, that, that seven heads, seven mountains, but also seven kings. Verse 10, there are, also seven, uh, there are also seven kings. Five have fallen, one is, and the other has not yet come. And when he comes, he must continue a short time. Verse 12 explains that the ten horns are ten more kings. The ten horns which you saw are ten kings who have received no kingdom as yet, but they receive authority for one hour as kings with the beast. So the seven kings of chapter 10 could also be translated as seven kingdoms. Okay, Not just kings, but kingdoms. In other words, the kingdom of the beast will be the seventh world kingdom, the one that has not yet come. Okay, Does that make sense? Okay. All right, so the seven heads, as we'll go on, we're going to look at the seven heads, the ten horns, the waters, and, and then we'll do the application. So the seven heads, and we've already seen that these heads represent seven mountains in verse 9 and seven kings or kingdoms in verse 10. The five kingdoms that had fallen were Egypt, Assyria, Babylon, Persia, and Greece. The kingdom that is would be Rome in John's day. Okay, so when John wrote, wrote this, and there's one that is, he's writing it then, is, in his day, that was Rome, and one yet to come. The seventh would be the kingdom of the beast. If we compare the seven heads to specific kings, 
Then the five who were fallen of Roman rulers would be Julius Caesar, Tiberius, Caligula, Claudius, and Nero. The one that is would be Domitian, and uh, the one yet to come, the beast, the king of the revived Roman Empire. That's the seven heads, the ten horns. Verse 12 explains that these are ten more kings. Okay, So the ten horns which you saw are ten kings who have received no kingdom as yet, but they receive authority, listen to this, for one hour as kings with the beast. So, you know, I was thinking about that, and I've not read anything that really highlighted on the one hour, but I got to thinking about the one hour. Um, when, when you talk about prophecy and the, the weeks and weeks representing years and all of that, and, 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 and I thought, wow, when you talk about one hour, they really are going to be just for a fleeting moment. Are they going to be in any type of power? They're willing to, to, to partner with the beast here and they'll receive some authority, but it'll be very, very, very short-lived. So these 10, they parallel the, the 10 toes of Daniel's image in Daniel chapter 2, verses 36 through 45. And it's the revived Roman Empire. We've talked about that. Uh, we talked about it a lot before we actually even got into Revelation we were talking about these end times things, and we looked at Daniel's prophecy and those ten toes. And does anybody remember what the ten toes were made of? Iron and clay. So there's there's the, there's the the iron would symbolize power, right? But clay is very fragile. When you put them two together, it was it was it it might have looked strong, but it wasn't. It was going to collapse very easy, and and that's what we're going to see with for one hour. Uh, they 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 received authority for one hour. Um, as kings with the beast. In John's day, these kings had not yet received their power. It is reserved for the last days when the Federation of Europe, or as I like to call it, the United States of Europe, uh, uh, headed by the beast, comes to power. Note that these ten kings willingly give support to the beast in his battle against Christ and the saints, and that with the help of the beast, they will destroy the great harlot. That, that will be their role so then we look at the waters, E, the, the, the part E or number e, letter E, number E here, the waters. That was a joke, number E. The, wa- the waters on which the harlot is seated are the peoples of the earth, verse 15. Then he said to me, the waters which you saw where the harlot sits are peoples, multitudes, nations, and tongues. So it's, it, it, the, the fact is that the harlot, she'll have influence over the whole world, politically, economically, and most of all, religiously. Now, when you, when you talk about Rome, there's, there's no doubt, I, I don't think there's any doubt, or, or there's very little doubt about what this is speaking of. Rome will be the seat of, of, of this religious power. Now, those who would argue that that's the Catholic Church, now, you see some things going on today with the Catholic Church, and, and they're... And they're the Pope, what was it? Someone told me, who told me, who told me that tonight? Was you in here? About what the Pope said just here recently. Who was somebody in here? Did you tell, yeah, tell me, tell them what, what you were telling me. He was saying that homosexuality is not a sin. He now spoken and homosexuality is now, to, now a sin and all the, all the pedophiles in the ranks of the church are loving that. That's the next step. But that's, that's the, the compromise. But if you've noticed, the Pope and, the, and Islam have been working hand in hand together. And so there's a lot of 
moving parts. Now, I had a friend that, that had done a lot of ministry in Islamic countries. He was convinced, I haven't talked to him in years, but he was convinced that, it, that the harlot was not the Catholic Church in itself, but that it was Islam. That, that Islam is the harlot. I, I don't know. When people go, well, it's never had the power. Go, well, you need to go back and look at your history. You want to talk about Persia. There's a lot of power in that area. They, they, they were conquered or conquerors for years and years and years. Powerful empires that were there uh, long, before, long before Rome was on the scene. So... I, you know, I don't know. Is it is it is the Catholic Church going to be mingled with Islam? It could be that the two are mingled together in a way. You're talking about the, the, the number of Muslims in the world, the number of Catholics in the world, and if you come together with an apostate church in that way, I mean that's a lot of power over over the face of the earth. That's a lot of representation right there. So, um, speculation on those things. So number three, the application then. The harlot represents the apostate world church of the latter days centered in Rome. Whatever that is, it's, that's what the harlot is. It's the apostate church. And the name Babylon takes us back to Genesis chapter 10, verses 1 through 11, and chapter 11, verses 1 through 9, where the first organized rebellion against God took place. The name Babel means confusion and stands for apostate religion. So the Babylonian system has been guilty of, of, of persecuting true believers ever since Cain killed Abel. You go all the way back to there, and true believers have been persecuted. All anti-Christian groups, even those that call themselves Christian, that have killed God's servants are part of this abominable system. And uh, in the last days, one world church will be formed. And, and again, I think if you, if you watch the news and you watch not just... The big headlines, but you watch the news and the things that are going on, folks. You can see these parts. Now, we can't see it clearly. Hindsight's always twenty twenty, right? There's a whole lot of things we're going to look back on one day and we'll go, oh, why, how did we miss that? How did we, how did we think that? Um, but there are things that we see that if you watch, you start to go, oh, oh, wow. Not thought about how that could have happened. Now we see that. You know, we talk about the mark of the beast. There was a day in my lifetime where the speculation about how in the world could you get people to do that? How in the world would you have the technology to do that? Today, we don't even blink at that. Folks, I went to Israel. Went all the way around the world. I never once touched one setting on my phone. And I had cell service, internet, texting, FaceTimed Gina from Israel. Never did a thing. Never changed a thing. That, that, that's simple. Technology today, the, 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 how do you get people to follow? Well, you start telling them you're not going to feed them if they don't take a shot or they don't take this mark or whatever it is. People, we've seen that people will follow. Okay? Um, the, the, the stuff... I'm not going there. Yeah, I'm not going there. So we're seeing movement this day toward that with the Catholic Church in Islam, which I already mentioned. The world church, the harlot, will be involved in the political and economic affairs of the world and with the help of the beast will become a great power. The world church will ride into power. Isn't it interesting? You read the scriptures there that she's on the back. She's on the back. She's riding on the back. So the world church will ride into power 
on the back of the beast. That is, with the help of Satan and the United States of Europe. This whole, they're going to all work together to, to, to get this power set up. And the beast will get the support of the ten kings as he rides to victory. Uh, we saw it in Revelation 6. A union will exist between the nations of Europe and the beast and the world church. And the scene in chapter 17 takes place during the first half of the tribulation. Note that the beast has not yet been revealed in his true satanic character. And during the middle of the tribulation, the beast will, want all, will have all power and he wants everyone to worship himself. We saw it in chapter 13. So this means he must get rid of the harlot. Even though she represents the apostate, it's an apostate church. She represents God even in that apostate form. And he's not going to have any part of that. He's going to overturn that, the harlot and overturn that apostate church system. Uh, verse 16 indicates that the, Federation, the Federated Nations of Europe will turn against the world church and destroy her, fulfilling the prophecy in Revelation chapter 2, verses 20 through 23. And I'm going to read this. It says, Nevertheless, I have a few things against you because you allow that woman Jezebel who calls herself a prophetess to teach and seduce my servants to commit sexual immorality and eat things sacrificed to idols. And I gave her time to repent of her sexual immorality, and she did not repent. Indeed, I will cast her into a sickbed, and those who commit adultery with her into great tribulation unless they repent of their deeds. I will kill her children with death, and all the churches shall know that I am he who searches the minds and hearts, and I will give to each one of you according to your works. So once the harlot is out of the way, the beast will declare himself to be a god. It will declare himself to be God and uh, demand the worship of the nations. Now, we talk about this apostate church. The apostate church is called a harlot, while the true church is, is pictured as a pure bride. The harlot is in the wilderness. The bride is, is in heaven. The harlot is adorned by Satan, chapter 17, verse 4, while the bride is adorned by Christ. We'll see that in 19, uh, verse 8. The harlot is judged forever. The bride reigns forever. Amen? The harlot is stained with the blood of the martyrs. The bride is redeemed by the blood of the Lamb. Amen. So folks, it's incumbent upon us, dedicated Christians, to separate ourselves from Satan's false church and to identify with those who are true to Christ and to the Word of God. The false church may appear to be successful for a season, but her doom is fixed. Um, I'm done, so we're, we're a little early. But that right there, that last part, this whole thing with the false church. Folks, we've got churches today that are dropping left and right. When I say dropping, I don't mean they're closing their doors. And there are. There are churches that are closing their doors left and right. There are churches every day in America. There are, there are multitudes of pastors who are leaving the pastorate. And there are churches that are failing and closing their doors. And a lot of them are probably churches that are holding true to Scripture. What you have, you got a lot of these mega churches that are absolutely corrupt, being corrupted, or, or, or just on a slide. Now, I'm on the Internet, so I'm not going to name names. That's so unlike me, isn't it? <laughs> 
But there's a church that 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 it ain't it ain't super close to us, but it's in our it's in it's in a uh, it's in a I don't know thirty mile forty mile radius of us. If I knew it, you'd all know it. And uh, we've we've talked about this before, but somebody on their staff came out and they they gloried, they gloried in who they are as a church, and they said, you know, this is who we are. This is who we are as this church. We not only have we have we have homosexuals, and we have uh, transgender, and we have cohabitating, and we have pro-abortion. Now, they listed all these things that we know are wrong, that are sinful. We have all these people here, and not only are they here, but they give and they serve. Now, I won't un save people in our, in our services. I, I'm, I welcome that. I, I love people. I want to see people come to faith. But understand, the church is the called out. It's the born again. It's for believers. That's what the church is. The church is not a conglomeration of just the community coming in here. And we have to remember that. This is for believers, now, if you're not a believer in here tonight, I hope tonight you'll become a believer. I hope tonight would be the night you'd say, Pastor, I don't know Jesus as my Savior. Can you point me to Christ? Because I would love to do that tonight. There's nothing that would give me greater joy tonight than, than, than introducing someone to Christ. But understand, um, that whole mentality of, of those things that they're doing says then they've just, they're holding hands with the world. They're not on true to Scripture anymore. Absolute compromise. This has been going on for over a year with this particular church. So I had asked some questions. So I had a great lunch with, with our uh, director of missions, Glenn Rogers, yesterday. And we talked about this extensively. And he had some more insight into it. But he said, you know, it seems like they're going away from even the whole membership thing. We won't even have membership. You wonder why is it membership important? That's why it's important. You need to know that, that whoever is a part of our church, we're in agreement on certain things. Now, we, we, look, if, if, if you believe in the gap theory, you, you, you're not there with me in six days, seven days, six days creation, God rested. I'm not going to break fellowship with you on that. I think you're crazy, but I'm going to take you back to Scripture and let's look at this because I'm going to believe what the Word of God says. But there are people that believe that. But, but if you start applying things to uh, salvation by grace uh, through faith, but that's not enough. So you have to actually you have to do some works, and then you you hope maybe you get in, and and maybe that's not enough even then. So you know I don't you know whatever. If you add to if you add to salvation by grace through faith, then then we're gonna have a problem. If you tell me you gotta be baptized, you know, in order to be saved, we're gonna have a problem. That's why we have a membership so that we're all on the same page. Okay, and we're gonna hold true to the teachings of the Word of God. Y'all better yank my chain hard. If, I mean, and I know you will, and I want you to. If I, were to, if I said something and you go, Preacher, that, that, ain't, that ain't right. Call me on it. Because there's a lot of churches, those things start happening, they don't call them on it. And I will call this name. I mean, Andy Stanley's absolutely lost his mind. He's absolutely lost his mind. The arrogance 
of a man who's got all the answers. After 2,000 years, he's the one who's figured out how to do church. Nobody else to this point has ever known how to do church. He's figured it out. And he apologizes constantly to everybody because I know you had such a horrible church experience before you got here to our church. The church was just terrible. Oh, we're so sorry for that. But now you've, found, you've seen the light. The arrogance of that. Not only that, but just doctrinal things. But here's a big church that in our community has been a beacon of soul winning for years. And you would have said there's no way that church would, would ever slide like that. And it has. And it is. Now, I know people have left there. Guy was on my board with FCA. He and his wife have been there basically all her life, been in that church. They left. They didn't make a big stink. I saw a thing on Facebook just said, you know what? The Lord, the Lord after so and so many years, it was just the Lord moved us. It was time for us to move. It was, it was, it was very gracious what they said. I would have preferred they'd maybe call them out a little bit. But we got to stay true to the Word of God. Amen? It's all 